time, this doesn't look as attractive as it once did because you're fixing your eyes on the things of the kingdom. I'm just talking about a thousand that have a vision for their heart. They've got passion for God. They're leading intercession on their schools. They're set apart, consecrated under God. And they've got a vision and a mission for their life. This is an unbelievable night. It's just one of those nights that I just kind of... Uh, just burned on the inside with so much anticipation. How many kind of just feel that tonight, that something just amazing is going to happen in this place? You just feel that tonight? I just feel it so strong, and it's great to be in the place of Pastor Brady Boyd. I know he's watching. Can we let Pastor Brady know how much we love him, the father of this house, and how much we appreciate him tonight? Come on, man. The man's an iron man. We love him. And uh, I was here two years ago. I had the time of my life. I've never seen anything quite like this in my life. You guys are absolutely extraordinary. Your passion, the spontaneity of worship, and what God just might do next is so amazing in this place. And thank you for allowing me to be here. Can I just say one more time how privileged I am to be up here? And uh, it, it's just, it's one of the most remarkable moves of God I think I've ever seen in my life, being around here tonight. So I want you to be held captive for the next 40 minutes because I believe that tonight in this place that God is going to do something so revolutionary that's going to totally redefine everything about our lives here tonight. And I just believe that something amazing is going to be birthed here in this service. Turn your Bibles to Romans chapter 12 and verse 2. Romans chapter 12 and verse 2. Tonight I'm going to speak to you on the subject of the cause of this next great generation. The cause of this next great generation. I want you to listen to me carefully tonight because I believe that there's some people tonight that are going to walk out of this building called and ready to do some pretty remarkable things tonight. Romans chapter 12 and verse 2. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is the will of God that is good, acceptable, and the perfect will of God. Tonight, I'm going to speak to you on the cause of this next generation. At the end of service, I'll be at the back. I have a brand new book called The Cause Within You. And uh, God has blessed us. I've been a New York Times bestselling book. And all the proceeds of it go to the Dream Center to help hurting people right there. You'll know more about the Dream Center as we get going on. But I'll be at the back signing books if you want to stop by and get it and make a, a wonderful contribution to help people. So I want to give this a book right here to somebody who can sing Justin Bieber's Baby Baby. Who can do it? First one. One. First one. Who can... Where you at? Where you at? Oh, yeah, here you go. Here you go. All right. Are you ready? Go for it. Whoa. Whoa. You know you love me. I know you care. Just shout whenever and I'll be there. You want my love. You want my heart. And we will never, ever, ever be apart. Okay, I'll just skip to... Baby, 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 oh, like baby, 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 no, okay. Oh my goodness, hand motions and everything. You gotta be kidding me, the hand motions. Come on, let's pray. Lord, we love you tonight. Bless this place, I pray. That something amazing will be birthed tonight. I ask you that in this place that you would raise up people here that would forever change the world in Jesus' name. Amen. A few weeks ago, I was invited to a conference and then another conference, another conference of pastors leaders who at this time in America are fearful about our country. They gather together in a room with leaders in several different places I've been to in the last couple months to discuss the fear in America that is uh, presiding over maybe August and the economy and all the crazy stuff that's going on right now. 
So they got together to talk about the future of America. And as we begin to talk about all these different types of things, I sat there and they begin to make so many declarations that were very, very interesting and declarations that frankly were making me pretty discouraged. Many of them were saying things like this, you know, this next great generation of young people will be raised underneath the recession and depression, parents who have lost jobs, people that have a tough time in the economy. And every single one of the speakers begin to declare that they're fearful about the next generation of youth and what's going to happen in the next generation when the youth of today grow up. And one after another, there was fear, there were statistics, there was evidence that they were saying that the next generation was in trouble, and on and on and on. Can I be honest with you? I was so discouraged when I left that place. I found a burger on the side of the road. Got me a hamburger, because that's what we do as Christians. We can't party, so we indulge in eating. And so I went to Whataburger, and I sat there, and I began to cry at the forecast. But I decided to do something that was a little bit better than listening to all that. I decided to open up the Word of God. And I decided to read every single book about the great revivals, from Nehemiah to Joshua all the way down. And did you know that I found out that every single time that there was a declaration of defeats and desolation and writing the next generation off, that God raised up the greatest generation whenever a declaration was made that the odds were against that next generation. And I want to tell you here tonight that stats might say one thing, but it can't say anything in comparison to what God can do at an altar in a place like this tonight. Stats can factor in the regeneration of a young person's heart. Stats can factor in what the Lord can do at a place like desperation in one night, turn the hearts of people over and do something and put a cause in us that is so great and that is so powerful and that will forever transform this generation. Whenever man predicts the end of a generation, that's God's cue to raise up the greatest generation. And I believe that tonight the warning has been sound and the heart of God has been poured out. Nehemiah's generation was predicted that they were done. They were over. But no one could factor in a man by the name of Nehemiah who risked his life to go into the city and rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. The children of Israel were dead as Goliath was taunting the people of God. But they didn't realize there was a young boy named David who was delivering pizza to the soldiers on the war who had a burning heart who just went to the desperation conference and got some fire that was shut up in his bones and went back and did something great for the glory of God. And I'm here tonight to declare that in the middle of desolation and the prediction of the next generation falling apart, God is putting back together the greatest generation tonight, I believe, even in this place that the world has ever seen. A generation. It was in a night like this. I'll never forget. That's why I burn when I come to these conferences. That's why I preach with a, a fire and an urgency because at, 20, at 16 years of age, on a night like this, God called me to the city of Los Angeles to pastor a church. And five years later, he called me to L.A. as a skinny, white, 20-year-old kid in the middle of a hood that people had ridden off that neighborhood. And they said, it's the second highest crime in Los Angeles. No, it can never turn around. But I have seen in 17 years, under the declaration of defeat and desolation, crime dropped 73% in our neighborhood. Drug leaders getting saved. 
Guys hanging out by the liquor store, becoming staff members, and a whole generation that is rising up. Tonight, if I were you, I would rebel against the prediction of your generation. I would be angry and ticked off at the numbers from secular society and sometimes even a Christian society that has all the stats about why this next generation would be crushed. I would rebel tonight and rise up and be a Joshua generation, a Nehemiah generation, and stand up and do something big for God and rebuild the walls of the city. You know, we live in a day, we live in a day where Nickelodeon and Disney will turn 13-year-old kids loose. And tell them to impact culture. And so we see kids getting younger and younger and younger in the secular world who are actually influencing our culture. But I believe that that same thing, an even greater thing for God, is going to happen in the church. That God is going to raise up in these last days young men and women that are powerful for God. That will rise up and do things that have never been seen before for the glory of God. You see, whenever there's a prediction of failure, God raises up. People like you. Ordinary people. From homes maybe raised up where all you heard growing up is, you'll just be like your father. You'll never amount to anything. And in the midst of that home, God raises up a warrior who gets some fire at the altar at a desperation conference like this and goes back and shakes the boundaries for the glory of God. I know what it was like for 16 years of age. I know what it was like to be in a night like this and come down and have my whole world change at 20 years of age and come to Los Angeles and start rehab programs and hundreds of people that are coming off drugs. 45% of my staff are former junkies and people that were shooting up and using drugs and now 45% of them are either South Central gang members or users, but they're rising up to do something great for the glory of God. I know what it's like to get a word from God on a night like this. I was going to title this message a night like this because I know that there are places and times and seasons of your life where God does something so powerful and demonstrates his power in such an unusual way. In L.A., we have 750 people that live in our hospital building that we are in charge of every single day. Hundreds of people. When the recession came, all the services in L.A. started shutting down. And the government started bringing families, runaway teenagers, and street kids and dropping them off at the church. Families that were living on Skid Row who didn't want their kids started bringing them in. And so we just decided that we'd become a licensed program for minors. And and it took us two years. But now the government licensed us to take in minors 11 to 17 years of age. So instead of going to juvenile hall, the judge is pounding the gavel and telling teenagers, you're not going to juvenile hall, and they're sentencing them to the Dream Center where they're living in our building every single day, being transformed for the glory of God. There was one kid who was sentenced to our building. His name was Jonathan Martinez. His family was involved with the Mexican Mafia. At 15 years of age, they sentenced him to the Dream Center to do his time there for a few months instead of going to prison, juvenile prison. So he came into our program, and so we have to check the kids for drugs when they came in. So he came into the program, and we found out that he had a stash of drugs, this 15-year-old kid. So he was under 24-hour discipline. We had to put him in the room for 24 hours to think about what he did. And while he was in the room, all he had was a Bible, a toaster, and a Bible, a toaster, and an extra stash of drugs that he brought in that we didn't find. So for 24 hours, this kid was in there. And so this is, he got bored. He decided to open up the pages of the Bible. And he would read the page of the Bible. He would rip out the page of the Bible. He would roll it into a joint and use a toaster to smoke the Bible every, for the next 24 hours in there. 
Now, don't freak out on me. There's a problem, though. He had to read the Bible before he smoked it. And whether you read it or inhale it, folks, the Word of God's going to get in you one way or another, and it's going to change you. The next morning, he was asking questions about the pages he was smoking. And he said, I read some heavy stuff, what Jesus was saying, like, if your eye caused you to sin and rip it out and all this stuff. And he was actually fascinated by those verses. Maybe I was gangster in them. I don't know, you know. And, and, uh, and, and, and he said, you know, as I was smoking the pages, I was reading the Bible. The kid gets saved after smoking the pages of the Bible. He leaves the gangs. He's now 22 years of age. And Jonathan Martinez oversees 700 people every Saturday into the neighborhood that paint out graffiti, serve the neighborhood, and make a difference every single day. All because there's a cause in this next generation. David said, is there not a cause? He said, you guys understand what your purpose is. Your clothes demonstrate that you know you're supposed to be soldiers. But he said, isn't there somebody that will execute a great cause? Step out on what they know that they believe. Step out on the things that, that they know in their heart that they ought to do. And I believe that there's a great cause that's rising up in this next generation. I believe that in the next 20 minutes before we get to the altar, something is going to be birthed in your heart tonight. A belief and a passion and calling. You, Some of you are going to be known for countries you're going to go to, cities, just like I did at 16 years of age. And something is going to burn in your heart so powerful that's going to change your life forever. I never realized that God can make such a change in people's lives. When I came in, I've never used drugs and alcohol in my life. My whole ministry is working with people that have drug and alcohol addictions. I mean, that, I mean that's my whole staff. I mean, in our church, we got ex-drug addicts, murderers, convicts, and pimps. And that's just a pastoral staff. That's not including all the other people we got going on. I mean, it's a rough crowd, you know. My whole front row of my church looks like the Jerry Springer studio audience. I mean, it's a tough crowd. One day I was preaching a sermon. There was a man walking around the balcony dressed like Jesus. We were having a conference, you know, and so we, we had a Hillsong um, concert night. So we brought in like hundreds of uh, people from Skid Row to our church. If you know what Skid Row is, it's homeless America. If you've seen the soloists, that's what Skid Row is. And thousands of people living on the street. So we bring them to church. They don't know who our guests are. They just kind of make themselves at home in the balcony, you know. And I looked up at the balcony and there's a guy walking around with a white robe and long hair dressed like Jesus. And he's just walking around the balcony blessing children and everything, you know, and breaking loaves and fishes and just walking around. I walked up to the dude. I said, are you Jesus? He said, yes, I am. I go, really? He goes, yes, I am. I'm Jesus Christ, the Son of the living God. I said, you are? He said, yes, I am. I said, did you ever see that movie, The Passion of the Christ? He said, no, I couldn't watch it. I said, why? He said, it brought back too many bad memories. And that night, the man who thought he was Jesus, I watched, I watched the altar call. He walked down the balcony, and he gave his life, and he accepted the real Jesus that night. I'm telling you, God can do anything. God can use anyone. God can take anyone and transform their life for the glory of God. I want to tell you, on a night like this, God visited me in such a powerful way. And I took some fire from the altar and decided that I was going to go into a place that people had totally written off and give the love of Jesus Christ. Because you know what? When the odds are stacked against you, that's when you know you need God. And you, you need to need God. You need to be in a situation where all it is is a desperation for more of God. It's no compromise. All it is is, God, here I am. I'm in the place. I can't do what you've called me to do. And so I need you to do some miracles in my life.
and to step out on the one great cause. You see, many people never find the one great cause of their life. You know why? Because they don't value what's in their hand. They look at what's in their hand is not enough. And so they spend their entire life never starting what God told them to do because they don't think that what's in their hand is enough. Maybe all you have is your experiences in your hand. Maybe all you have is a past in your hand. Maybe all you have is broken dreams in your hand. But can I tell you, all God wants you to do to execute one great cause is to use what you have in your hand. And when you start using whatever God puts in your hand in heart tonight, you will find that you'll never have to look for your cause ever again. Because you know what's going to happen? Your cause will begin to find you. Hurting people will begin to find you. Broken lives will begin to find you. People that need help will begin to find you. And tonight I'm just burning in my spirit with the belief that this next great generation is going to rise up. That in you is going to be the greatest we've ever seen. Why? Because God loves to defy the odds. God loves to do the impossible in a day where people are predicting devastation. You know what? I don't listen to that stuff anymore. All I do is read the Bible and watch ESPN. That's all I do. That's all I do. I read my Bible until I hear the dun-dun-dun, dun-dun-dun, and then I just watch that. And even there is bad news most of the times. My Dodgers and Lakers are terrible. So it's, uh, I, I turn that off too. Yeah, don't amen that too loud, brother over there. Amen. One day I went to our rehab program, and we have about 200 men in our recovery program. Guys are coming off drugs. It was promotion Friday, which means all these guys in rehab move up a level. It's a big day. The guys are all excited about it, and they're ready to go. And so when I walked in the rehab program, there was a guy that was teaching, and he was very strange in his style. I mean, this guy was from South Central Gang Member, and he was up there slanging as he was preaching. He was like, yo, dog, what's going on, man? And uh, he was up there just slanging and, and just, I mean, he was like Snoop Dogg preaching. I've never seen anything like it in my life. I'm like, how did Dr. Dre get into a rehab program? I don't know. And he was up there, he said, yo, now, he was teaching all the other guys in rehab. He graduated, he was in the second year, and he, he was up there, he's like, yo, flip the word over, God, the word's cracking over here in Proverbs, check it out, you know. He's walking over there, and he's saying, yo, the word's got a flow going over here. I'm just, I'm loving this guy. I said, dude, you are awesome. I want you to preach for me on Sunday morning. This Sunday morning, I only got 15 minutes left of my sermon, but I want you to preach. He said, yo, dog, I don't preach that way. I don't do that. He goes, I can't preach. I'm not experienced. I said, no, 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 no. I don't want the preacher. I want Snoop Dogg. I want that guy preaching on Sunday morning. So he got up on Sunday morning from 3,000 people in our building, and he stood up, and he started preaching. I'll never forget, as he was standing up, ministering the gospel, I mean, the crowd got into it. They were standing up, and they were clapping, and he was talking about bullets and apologizing to his mom in the audience for the bullets hitting the house every weekend, you know? And, and when he was up there preaching, he was done. He said, oh, guys, please forgive me. He said, I got so busy preaching, you know, and, uh, and you guys have been so good to me that I forgot to ask you to do something for me. I forgot to ask you to pray for me that God would heal some of the warrants that are still out for my arrest out there. I said, only at the Dream Center on a Sunday morning would you have a preacher preaching that God would forgive him of some of his warrants. Amen. And he got him cleaned up since, but, and now he's one of our leaders in rehab every single day, bringing a whole neighborhood back to God. I'm telling you, folks, the next great generation might look different, talk different, act different, but there's something burning in the hearts of people that is so powerful that's going to rise up and make a difference that is driven by a great cause and executes that great cause and steps out on all the things that God has put in their heart to do. There used to be a day in my life I used to dream of preaching to thousands. But now whenever I preach, I'm always looking for the one. 
I'm looking for the one young person that's going to rise up out of here and it's going to happen and do something so powerful and redefine the next Mother Teresa sitting out here in this room that's going to change the world. And every time I preach, I burn with the urgency of a night like this that all that God is looking for is not somebody who's talented, but somebody that's willing to lay before and say, God, I lay down my dreams and I pick up your one great cause. It was the second night in my life when I was 20 years of age when I was pastoring my church and everything was failing. I'm 20 years of age trying to pastor and everyone left my church. I mean, I had nobody left. So I decided to go to Echo Park and pray that night. And for God to tell me to go to Echo Park in the middle of the night is a pretty bold word. I mean, there have been dead bodies found in the bottom of the lake and guns and, you know, training day was filmed around there. And I thought God was mad at me for being a big old baby. He was just going to finish me off in a drive-by shooting and get somebody there who really could do the job. And that night in the park, I'll never forget, God spoke to me something that cleared my life and changed me. He said, the problem with you, young man, is this. You are so addicted to your dream of being a success, you can't even see clearly. He said, tonight in this park, I want you to die to your dream of being a success. I want you to go home and rip up every five-year goal, every ten-year goal. I want you to forget about everything you think the ministry ought to do for you. And I want you to spend the rest of your life building the dreams of those boys up against police cars. That night, God changed my life. And something happened on a night like that, the second visitation of God, where God told me that ministry will always be about the one. Healed me of the ulcers of preaching every Sunday and wondering if people would show up. And I couldn't preach if no one showed up. And my whole ministry was driven on who would show up and who wouldn't show up. In the second visitation, God freed me from the anxiety of ministry and told me, all you have to do is acknowledge me and I'm going to direct your path. On a night like that, on a night like this, when I was 16, I'm telling you, folks, tonight, don't underestimate the power of a visitation from God. Because I believe that tonight, that there are thousands of young people that are going to rise up from the altar tonight and impact their world for the glory of God. There's nobody who believes that message. I believe who's ever spoken to a conference like this more than I, because every experience in my life was shaped at a moment like this, at a place like desperation. Tonight in this building, I believe there's a visitation. There's awakening. There's something so big God's going to do in your life. A faith that is so big that's going to rise up within you. And the world's going to be blown away by the fact that, yes, they've seen it in the secular world. But in the Christian world, some of the greatest charitable reformers and world changers are rising up to make a difference. I guess I'm just ignorant to believe that anybody can change. That anybody can be transformed. I'll never forget one day, there's a man that was living under the bridges of L.A., For 15 years, at 45 years of age, he lost his job as an engineer. He lost his job, and not only did he lost his job, he lost his wife. And at 45 years of age, this man started living under the bridges of Los Angeles homeless. He became an icon for homelessness in L.A. They would drive by, and they would tell his story. This was a man who gave up when he was 45, and he lost his job. And they would look at him and say, "That's that's kind of what the Hollywood broken dream is about, that guy right there. And one day he heard that there was free food at the Dream Center. So he'd get under the bridge and take his little area and he would walk and move it around. And he would go to the Dream Center. We serve 2,000 hot meals every day. Our building's open 24 hours and we serve 2,000 hot meals a day. So he would come up and get his meal. And he would take it back under the bridge and he would live there. He did this every day for years. And finally, I'm getting mad. I'm like, God, this guy's just using us. He doesn't want to change. He just wants to eat our free food and live under the bridge. And God spoke a word to me that was so clear. He said, that's exactly right. If you want to be a bridge of hope to the world, you've got to allow yourself to be walked on sometimes. And this guy was taking our food and walking all over me back under the bridge. 
and bury this homeless man who even had a name because he was so famous for being homeless. One day, he came up to get his food, and he saw a bunch of guys in our rehab program getting changed. I mean, these dudes are hardcore. They, they wake up at 5.30 in the morning, and they go through drug and alcohol. I mean, it's beans and rice in Jesus Christ, man. I mean, that's what it is. And he saw their lives transformed. And he was so blown away by this. He said, I'm going to go into your rehab program. I didn't know what to do. To be honest with you, I didn't think that this guy would change because I've seen him drive by every day for so long. I didn't think he could change. And this great man of power of faith that I am. And, uh, but my dad always taught me that what do you do when you don't know what to do in the ministry? You just smile, shake your head, and say, praise the Lord. He goes, I want to go to your rehab program. I'm like, praise the Lord. He made it through 30 days, 90 days, 180 days. He went through the program in one year, shocked the odds, changed, shocked everyone around him. People couldn't point to him as an icon for homelessness anymore because he went through the program. He graduated at 60 years of age, the rehab program, went back to Bible school, well, went to Bible school, and graduated in two years. He's now one of my ministers, 62 years of age. Homeless Barry is now Pastor Barry, and he's leading a revolution and pulling guys under the bridge and giving them a cause. Do you know why this man has a cause? Because there was a teenage kid on a short-term mission trip visiting the Dream Center as a teenager that had enough audacity to go up to Barry and tell him there's a place where he can get free food. Some teenager had a cause for Barry, and now Barry is rescuing the world for the glory of God. Oh, I believe that tonight that God is putting a great cause in your hearts. I believe that some of you are going to take on giants like David when he said, Hey, is there not a great cause? Is there not somebody that would step up and take on the giant and do something great for the glory of God? When I was, when, um, when I was 15th year of anniversary of the ministry, I'm 37, but two years ago was our 15th year anniversary. And I was all excited because the church was going to throw me a party for pastoring for 15 years. And I'm 37. I've been in the same neighborhood for 17 years. I've seen every liquor store come and go. I've seen every gang leader come and go. But the church has never left. We've been in that neighborhood. And liquor stores and drug dealers, they come and they go back in prison. But the church of Jesus Christ has never left. We have stood in that neighborhood and changed the atmosphere of the community on a daily basis. And I've seen what's happened in that community. I've seen what's happened with a generation of thousands of young people that have come and served. And many of your youth groups have even been out and served. I have seen the power of compassion and how it transforms neighborhoods. But at 15th anniversary, the church said, we're going to take a break. We want to honor you, Pastor. We're going to do a 90-minute celebration saying thank you for being our pastor. And I thought, that's pretty awesome because who wouldn't want a party in your name? So I was ready to party. I had my little party hat on all week long. I'm like, man, they're going to be a party. I'm going to feel so good about myself. This is going to be awesome. And that week, God spoke the word to me. He said, I don't want you to go to the party. I want you to cancel the party. I'm like, come on, God. Can't I just go to the party? Because there ain't no party like a West Coast party because a West Coast party don't stop. You know, and, uh, and. But he said, no, I don't want you to go to the party in your honor. That's so why I got discouraged. And I said, okay, fine. I said, what do you mean to do, God? He said, I want you to go back where it all began. I said, what do you mean? Skid, where it all began was Skid Row. I mean, my first members of my church were homeless people on Skid Row. I had 48 congregation members when the church was rocking, and 40 of them were homeless people on Skid Row. We had to have a special parking spot in our church for shopping carts as people came in. I'd, I'd be preaching on faith, and right in the middle of my sermon, two people would be making out in the back row. I had to change my sermon and preach on moral purity. I mean, I, I changed my sermon five or six times based upon what was going on. In every church, every service on Sunday morning, I get panhandled for money. People come up to me and say, yo, pastor, that was a great sermon. Hey, man, you got $20? 
I mean, it was tough. I mean, and now I just kind of believe that if you don't have a few marijuana joints and cigarette butts and beer cans outside your church, you don't have a church. Amen. And they want to honor me. And so I was ready for it. And God said, go back to where it all began. I said, God, that's Skid Row. Yeah, yeah, I want you to go back. Okay, I'll do a little visitation. No. I want you to live on the streets homeless on Skid Row for the next couple days of your life. And my book opens up with me being homeless for, in the first three chapters about this struggle that I went through. I'll never forget. I picked up a piece of cardboard box in my Bible. And I walked to the streets of Skid Row where there were about 13,000 homeless people living in the middle of the night in the open air. I saw women in porta-potties that the city used to use the restroom, but they were used for prostitution. I watched men every five minutes go in and give a woman a dollar every five minutes so she can get one more hit of drugs. I saw trafficking going on down there. I saw um, tents that were being used, and little children, little Dora the Explorer tents, were living next to dope dealers and heroin addicts and hotels that there were no doors on the showers, on the $4 night crack hotels, and pedophiles were watching young kids take showers and families that were living there. I saw people running down the street, ripping their, selling their shirts off their body for more drugs. I was down there. I was propositioned for absolutely everything and anything over that period of time. I panhandled for money in the middle of the night, slept next to tweakers in the middle of the night. And there I was just um, standing there at the mercy with no money, just trying to do whatever it took to survive, to feel what it was like to reach the people we've been reaching out to. I'll never forget about 11 o'clock at night, a Mexican restaurant, their, their restaurant just closed. And so they came out to serve food on the back of a, of a, of a truck. And I was standing in the line, which was the weirdest feeling of my life because I'd always been on the other end of giving on the other end. And now I'm standing in line and a lady came up to me and she said, I want you to know something, sir. You're going to make it in this world. You're going to make it in this world. And I started crying and she prayed for me right there on the line. I actually started thinking I was homeless at that time. And there I was on Skid Row, living in the open night, laying next to an open area where everyone wanted to sleep because there was so much light there because it's the safest area. I spent a couple hours sleeping there, and there was one man that was laying on my shoulder. It was so tight, and he was a, a, war, a veteran of war, and he's having nightmares in the middle of my night. And the other guy was coming off something, or he was in it, or whatever, and I was there all night long. And I'll never forget the next morning as, as a lady came up to me and propositioned me for, pro, for prostitution. And I told her I was a pastor. And, and uh, she kept going anyways. Anyway, but I said, no, I want you to come into this program. I want you to come in the Dream Center. And so she, we sent a shuttle. We took her back. We started taking people back. And God said, you know what? I just want you to pick up your Bible. I want you to walk through the streets. And I want you to put back together the broken pieces. As I walked through the street in the middle of the night, people were yelling out, Reverend, do you think God will save me? Reverend, do you think God will forgive me? I can't go back to my neighborhood because I'll get shot and they'll hurt my family. So I've lived here for five years on the streets. And I'm kneeling down on the ground, totally out of my element, talking to a bunch of people about Jesus. People were getting saved and a revolution was taking place. I was t- you see, I wasn't relevant and I didn't understand everything, but sometimes we can use relevant as an excuse not to be effective. Can I tell you something? This next generation, that God's not looking for people that are relevant, who understand everything, who got it all figured out. When I came to L.A., I used to wear baggy pants. I used to walk around and act like I was a gangster to try to relate to the neighborhood. I was like Eminem. But I was more like peanut M&M. And I'm walking through the streets of the city. I'm like, yo, dog, what's going on? They're like, dude, stop it. You are a sellout. You're not a gang member. Stop it. 
So I just decided to be the nerdy and white guy that would stay there for 17 years and I wouldn't go anywhere and build something. And I realized that you don't have to be relevant to be effective in this world. So stop using relevant as the reason why you can't make a difference. It's never been about what you know. It's been about what's in here. God is looking for a generation that's not relevant, but that is revolutionary and changing this world for the glory of God. Why be relevant when we can be revolutionary? And that night on Skid Row, I went back. And I said, God, I'll never be the same again. That was my third great visitation on a night like this. When I went back and decided we were going to open up a floor for homeless families, no children should ever have to live on the streets of Skid Row ever again. And we started pulling families off of Skid Row and giving them a chance to make it and live and giving them education to their families and get their lives back together again. I'm telling you something, the visitation of the Holy Spirit is one of the most powerful things that could happen. You see, God is not playing mind games up there. He's just looking for some young person that will say, God, I don't have much, but I promise you, whatever you give me, I'm going to use it to to make a difference in the lives of people. I'm going to have a great cause that's going to honor you. I lay down my plans and I pick up your cause because God's cause is always greater than man's dreams and ideas. On a night like this, God, can change lives. They invited me to go back to Skid Row, my church. They said, Pastor, we've got an outreach we're doing on Skid Row. Will you go back and preach? And I'm like, I was just already there. I'm kind of done with Skid Row as far as spending long periods of time down there. They said, can you come back down? I said, well, okay, because she's a pastor. You got to be spiritual. And okay, I will. So I went down there and I said, where are you guys going? They said, Heroin Alley. I'm a Heroin Alley. That's where people go to die. They said, yeah, that's where we want to do the outreach. And Pastor, we want you to preach on Heroin Alley. So I went down there to preach on Heroin Alley, and then we had all these great people. Jonathan got up there, and he was testifying on how he used to smoke the Bible, and he got saved, and uh, after smoking the chronic, and gave his life to Jesus, you know. And, and, then, and then we got Barry homeless under the bridge, and all these dynamic stories, and the rapper was talking about how he used to be on that wall before a bus came by. And then they asked me to speak. I didn't know what to speak on. I spoke on the advantages of rock bottom and how when oftentimes we think rock bottom is where people go to die, but rock bottom is where God takes people to recreate them. And so in the middle of my sermon, I'm on stage, and there's 20 people that are on Heroin Alley. They were all around me smoking. I mean, there was like 20 people within a five-foot radius all smoking weed around me as I'm preaching. I mean, good night. There was so much weed around that stage that I had the munchies when I went home. I mean, I had to stop by and go 7-Eleven and give me some nachos, you know what I mean? And, it is what it is. You just can't stop it. Some people said it was the best sermon I ever preached in my life. They said it was more relaxed. I don't know. But that night, I was preaching in the middle there, and people were getting saved. And one guy, as I was preaching, was running up and down doing laps like this. He was on speed or something. He was running doing laps the whole time. And he was just, ooh, and amen, high five at me. And it was their rules. I'm on their hood. That night he goes, I want to go into your program. I want to go into your program. I said, oh, good night. This guy was going to our praise. He's going to last about five minutes. He came in our program three weeks ago. I said, I want all the guys in the first 30 days of recovery to come to the stage. And I looked, and I couldn't believe it was the same guy. He was in his right mind. I said, you were the guy doing laps, and I was preaching. He goes, yeah, God delivered me in two days from a 30-year drug addiction. In two days. Like it. Like it was just what God does. It was just, you know. And that's what he does. And, and I just was so blown away. 
And, and, and seeing this guy, it was like the demon came out of him. And his life was being transformed. And I think about those moments in our life. I think about the generation that God is getting ready to use to do the impossible and do amazing things for his glory. But you see, never run from the potential of a divine visitation from God and a no-compromise spirit on a night like this, absolutely anything and everything could take place. I close with this. The first day I came to L.A., don't put your shoes on. We're not done yet. First day I came to L.A., I'm 20 years of age. I'm the only white guy within 10 miles in any direction of my neighborhood. Back then I was so skinny that when I stuck on my tongue, I looked like a zipper. When I ride a bicycle, everybody thought I was a Mormon. I mean, it was tough, even though I'm a white kid in my hood. And here I am, you know, just so out of, I mean, I'm, I even tucked in my shirt back then. And, uh, and, and the first day I was there, there was a young boy shot and killed in a drive-by shooting. His body laid on the steps of the building. He was killed by a rival El Salvadorian gang. It was as if the devil on the first day said, this is what I'm about. What are you going to do about it? I'm a 20-year-old pastor. Nobody wanted me to be there. I got voted in because I thought they were getting my dad. They, they got misunderstood. So I got voted in under a misunderstood vote. I walked in the building, walked up the stairs. I walked into my church building of eight people that were all over 65 years of age. And I was supposed to preach my first sermon. I said, guys, I can't do it. There's a young boy that's been shot and killed in a drive-by shooting. And I can't preach when his body is lying there. And they said, well, sure you can. We have a deal with the neighborhood. The gang members stick to themselves and we stick to ourselves. I said, oh, okay. We have our gang and they have their gang. I said, but let's just go over there and let's just see what God might do. They said, no, Pastor, you don't understand. We've been praying for revival across the street for years. I said, that's great. I believe praying for revival is good. But I also believe in just showing up in the devil's territory and take back what's already ours in Jesus' name. Pray while you're going. And, uh, and when I was there, uh, they said, no, Pastor, we won't go with you, but we'll give you money. So they gave me $38. I went across the street to an apartment attached to a liquor store. I knocked on the door, and the door flung open. I was staring in the face of the biggest gang member I'd ever seen in my life. He looked down at me, and then I looked up at him, and then I looked up at God, said, God, I've always heard there's a place called heaven. Save me a place, because I'm coming home real soon. (laughs) He said, what do you want? I said, I'm the new pastor. I'm here to pray for the family. He said, make it quick, Padre. I said, no problem. I mean, he has so many tattoos. If he flexes left bicep, the Old Testament will come out, and the New Testament over here. And I walked in there with my $38. A mother was crying. Gang members were comforting her. And I said, we love you. I'm going to help you at the funeral. I'm going to be here every single day for you. We love you. And I was so sweet to her. She was so sweet. And gang members were talking about getting guns and violence and retaliation. And so I'm giving her the money, and I'm heading towards the door. There's a man by the name of David Wilkerson. He was a preacher in New York City. The guy wrote a book called The Cross Switchblade. He's hardcore. He used to talk to gang members like this in his book. He used to say, if you chop me up, every piece of me will tell you that Jesus loves you. Not me. I'm giving the money. I'm out the door. And the man closed the door. A hand grabbed me and spun me around. And again, I'm staring in the face of the gang member. He said, Padre, I want you to do something for me. I said, brother, I'll do anything you want me to do. I'll rub your back. I'll rub your feet. I'll order your beer. I'll even drink a keg with you. Just don't kill me. Don't look at me so spiritual. If you're in my situation, you would have done whatever you had to do to stay alive at that point. He said, Padre, I want you to stay and pray for the family. I didn't know what to do. I just got out of Bible college, but Bible college doesn't prepare you for gang ministry 101 and drive by 102. I couldn't find it in the curriculum. 
So we got together in a circle, and I began to pray, a memorized prayer in Bible college called Prayer of Need in Time of Comfort. What it was, was an autopilot prayer that in case you got in trouble and didn't know what to pray, you prayed a memorized prayer to get you out of situation. It's like a get-out-of-jail-free card monopoly. So we were gathering around in a circle, and I began to pray. Dear Lord, my Bible college prayer, I pray that you will bless gang members holding hands. I pray that you bless this habitation with their glorification. And may your manifestation be here during this presentation, O oh God of grace and station. I pray that you bless the birds and the trees and the leaves of my knees as they're shaking. Pretty please, oh Jesus. I'm like rhyming, like flowing. I can't flow, but I'm flowing in King James Christian language. And God says, stop flowing and start praying. You'll never get this chance ever again as long as you live. I said, God, I pray that peace will prevail in this neighborhood. Nothing happened, so I prayed a little bit bolder. I said, God, I prayed these young men would realize that they're not as strong as they think they are. And right when I said those words, my right hand got squeezed next to me, and my left hand got squeezed next to me. I said, oh, God, he hates my prayer. I'm going down. But if I'm going down, I might as well get my name in the Fox's Book of Martyrs. So I just continued on. Right in the middle of my prayer, to my shock. I said, if you want to accept Jesus, raise your hand. And the gang member next to me raised my right hand. And then the left hand raised up. And I looked around and I stood in the middle. And I asked them if they want to accept Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. And on that day, every single gang member accepted Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. On a night like that, God did it. And I'd go across the street to that liquor store. And I'd go in there to give me a 40-ounce Coke. Not that 40 and I would say, the guy would say, hola, padre, como estas, padre? I said, I'm not the padre, I'm the pastor. He said, you're the padre of this neighborhood. And the padre gets all the free food and drinks that he wants. I said, you say free food, drinks? He said, yes, I did. I said, bless you, my son, in the name of the father, son. I'm the padre. <laughs> Let's don't let titles get in the way of getting the job done for the Lord. Amen? That's legalism. Watch me, look at me justify my food. I walked outside. People drive by and say, what are you doing here, man? What are you doing here? Oh, I know what you're doing. You're doing the missionary thing for two years, and you're going to come back and take over your dad's real church. I said, what are you talking about? This is a real church. They said, there's graffiti on the wall. You can't build a great church of graffiti on the wall. I said, that's not graffiti. That's beautiful art. And then they would would say, uh, you can't build a great church. There's a liquor store across the street. You can't build a great church. I said, of course we can't. We don't have to spend $5 million for a church coffee shop. And we've got everything in the liquor store across the street. And a lot of stuff to make the sermon better in case it gets bad. No, I'm just teasing. But... And I walked outside with lowriders and graffiti and craziness all around. And suddenly I felt at home. And I take it back to a night like this. Where a 16-year-old kid came down to the front who had a stuttering problem. And when I told people that I was called by God, people laughed and chuckled because they didn't think I could do it. But at 16 years of age, a visitation of the Lord came. And a no-compromising spirit came upon my life. And it changed me. On a night like this, God is raising up another young kid who's starting to feel the tug of something. But needs a confirmation of God to push him forward. On a night like this, the call of God is being confirmed. On a night like this, someone that's been addicted to something in your life that's been holding you back is going to get delivered and free. So that you can see the sunlit future that God has for you. And no longer be bound by the images in your mind that are holding it back on a night like this, anything is possible. And I just choose to believe and I choose to know with all my heart 
that the next great generation is rising up out of this desperation conference tonight. I sat there on the fifth row, and I was stunned by what I was seeing tonight. By the passion and the energy and the spontaneity and the belief that just God might do something so extraordinary that would turn the tide. Desperation is the right word for tonight. Because that's what it's going to require. A desperation to lay aside every hindrance and to lay down your plans and to pick up something better. The cause of Christ. Every head bowed, every eye closed. God's getting ready to do something awesome in this place tonight. There are people here in this room that will tell you tonight, I need to surrender my life to the cause of Christ. And as the band begins to play in the the background here tonight, God is getting ready to speak so loud to people here. You're saying that tonight, Pastor, I have fallen away from God. I'm not living for God the way that I should. I have lost my sense of understanding what it means to be a believer. But tonight, I've heard a word and a message about how great the cause of Christ is. And tonight in this building, I'm going to receive the power and the strength and the authority to step out. You see, the cause of Christ is a cause that came down to get you from heaven and love you so that you could have a cause for others. You see, the worst thing about sin and addiction and private places of our heart is not the fact that we sin because Jesus died for sin. He loves us and he understands that we, are, we have a sin nature. But you know what the worst thing about sin is? It grieves God's heart more than anything is that it stops us from being what we could have been. Because all we can see is our addiction and failure, and we can't see anything more that God has for us because we're blocked by those things. But tonight in this place, I believe that God is forgiving. He is restoring. He's putting a a cause on people's life. And all over this room, I'm going to count to three. And when I say three, I want to see the hands of everyone in this room tonight that will say, Pastor, I want to surrender my life to the cause of Christ. I want to give my life 100% to Jesus. I'm not where I need to be, but I'm going to be tonight. I'm going to surrender to his will tonight. I'm going to give my life to Jesus. When I say three, I believe the hands are going to go up all over this room. Get ready. One, all over this building. Two, I believe that when I say three, that people are going to surrender their life to Jesus Christ tonight and lay down your life and pick up his will and his burden, which is light and easy because it's a burden of giving and serving and not of accumulating stuff in our own life. But tonight, all over this room, if that's you, you'll say tonight, I'm ready to give my life to the cause of Christ. I'm ready to surrender. You see, the old timers had it right. The old preachers used to say, come and join the cause of Christ. I like what they used to say better than us. Because they saw the cause of Christ as something so big, so powerful, so adventurous, and so awesome. Tonight, there's people that are going to shake off the chains of problems, addictions, failures, mistakes. This this message is preached out of extraordinary grace and love. And all that stuff is going to get out of the way so that God's passion and purpose can be in the way tonight of something so awesome. If you're here tonight, you want to surrender to the cause of Christ all over this building. You're ready. Maybe you're you're coming back to God over the first time, but you're hungry. You're desperate tonight. On a night like this is a night where you can be saved and transformed by the glory of God. If that's you, I want you to raise your hands across this room. Right now, three. Lift them up. They're going up all over this room. They're going up all over this building. This is amazing. I want to go one step further. I want everyone tonight that's raising your hands that will say, I'm giving my life 100% to Jesus Christ tonight. And others of you that are not raising your hand, but tonight you believe that God is putting a brand new cause in your life. Something brand new tonight. And you'll say, I'm not leaving this building tonight until I totally surrender and get me out of the way so that God can pour his revelation and pour his one great cause into my life. And on a night like this, this is all I had to give God that night in Echo Park. I just laid down in the middle of that old drug-infested park. 
And I just said, God, here I am. Tonight, that's all I want to do. I just want you to come lay before the Lord and say, God, here I am. I surrender to your cause. I give whatever I have in my hand, whatever influence you've given me, and I give it away. I want every single one of you tonight that is ready. I just believe that God, I've never done this altar call in my life, but an altar call where I ask people just to, just to lay before God and just cry out to empty you so that he can fill you with his dynamic calls. Every one of you that's raising your hand, as many that can get to the front, I just want you to come right now. And I just want you to lay before God in desperation tonight. And lay down. God's putting a cause in your life tonight. He's putting a dream in your life tonight. All over this room. Oh, just come before God. Oh, hallelujah. Oh, come on tonight. Let's get desperate on a night like this. Someone's going to Chicago. Someone's going to New York City. Someone tonight is getting delivered so that they might be able to have a ministry of deliverance. Oh, all over this building tonight. Let me just hear you cry out to God right now. Let me just hear your voices for the next few minutes right now. Oh, let's cry out. I'm going to go pray for you. I'm done talking right now. I'm just going to walk through here in just a few minutes and pray for as many as I possibly can that God's anointing would be upon your life. But all over this room, as you're lying down here, before I pray for you, and we turn the team loose to worship, I want everyone loud and strong that tonight wants to give your life to Jesus Christ, before you break loose in your own private prayer, I want everyone together, loud and strong, to repeat these words after me. We're going to dedicate ourselves to Jesus Christ. Repeat these words. Dear God, I believe Jesus died on the cross that I might be saved. Tonight, Lord... I surrender to my will and I pick up your cause as I repent of my sin and I give you my future. You died for me, Lord. So now I will live for you in Jesus' name. And over time, this doesn't look as attractive as it once did because you're fixing your eyes on the things of the kingdom. I'm just talking about a thousand that have a vision for their heart. They've got passion for God. They're leading intercession on their schools. They're set apart, consecrated under God. And they've got a vision and a mission for their life.